Hi, my name is Morris Scott, and welcome to another episode of A Father's Devotion. Today, we'll be exploring highlights from the Book of Lamentations, uh, but first, let's commit our time to the Lord. Father, we just thank you for the Book of Lamentations. We pray that as we explore highlights, that you would open up our understanding about this book and its place in redemptive history. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, Lamentations. Uh, The human author is Jeremiah. Uh, It's dated around 586 to 585. 85 BC. Uh, The book is styled poetically, and it lists laments or mourning over the captivity of Israel, uh, of the capture and destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. And so in the midst of Israel's exile, they mourned and cried out to God. And you know what? That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. One of the things this book teaches is that it's okay to cry. Crying provides healing. It allows us to be at a place where we can hear from God. Uh, It is therapeutic. Uh, It allows us to take a sober look at life's occurrences. It allows us to become sensitive to God's anger and judgment. Tears are a language that God understands. Yes, there is a time for everything under the sun, including weeping, Ecclesiastes 3, 4. Ezekiel chapter 9, verses 4 through 6 shows that those who sighed and cried for abominations and for sins Uh, were spared from the judgment of God. Listen, the day we stop weeping over sin and abomination is a very bad day. And in this age where praise and worship is a buzzword, uh, it's something that is very popular, uh, the question yet remains, why is there this book of lamentations in the Bible? Is there not a time to cry aloud? Is it not a part of the Christian experience? Is it not a part of worship? Of course it is. So to deny the legitimacy of lamentation is to deprive the Christian of an essential means by which he should express sorrow, process healing, and even perceive life through the sober perspective of trials. So if you're crying today, you need to know that it's okay. So let's move to our first highlight. It's chapter one. We're going to be reading from verses one through three, five, eight through 10, 15 through 16, and verse 20. How lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow is she who was great among the nations. The princess among the provinces has become a slave. She weeps bitterly in the night. Her tears are on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she has none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. Judah has gone into captivity under affliction and hard servitude. She dwells among the nations. She finds no rest. All her persecutors overtake her in dire straits. Verse 5. Her adversaries have become the master. Her enemies prosper, for the Lord has afflicted her because of the multitude of her transgressions. Her children have gone into captivity before the enemy. Verse 8. Jerusalem has sinned gravely, therefore she has become vile. All who honored her despise her, because they have seen her nakedness. Yes, she sighs and turns away. Her uncleanness is in her skirts. She did not consider her destiny. Therefore her collapse was awesome. She had no comforter. O Lord, behold my afflictions, for the enemy is exalted. The adversary has spread his hand over all her pleasant things. For she has seen the nations enter her sanctuary, those whom you commanded 
not to enter your assembly. All her people sigh. They seek bread. They have given their valuables for food to restore life. See, O Lord, and consider, for I am scorned. Verse 15. The Lord has trampled underfoot all my mighty men in my midst. He has called an assembly against me to crush my young men. The Lord trampled as in a winepress the virgin daughter of Judah. For these things I weep, my eye, my eye overflows with water, because the comforter who should restore my life is far from me. My children are desolate because the enemy prevailed. Verse 20. See, O Lord, that I am in distress. My soul is troubled. My heart is overturned within me, for I have been very rebellious outside the sword bereaves. At home, it is like death. So this is a description of what happens when people and nations sin without repentance. Uh, there is aloneness. There is a feeling of separation, even when you're around people. You feel alone as you bear the guilt and shame of sin. We see themes of weeping, tears, captivity, exile. Uh, one of the applications that we see is that there are many today that are in exilic separation from God. You have individuals in exile. You have marriages that are in exile. You have families in exile, entire churches in exile. Jesus even said in the book of Revelations, chapter 3, verse 20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And he was saying this to the church at Laodicea. Entire denominations can be in exile. The question is, how do we conduct ourselves while in exile? What do you do when God gives you something sacred, something precious, and due to your own failure, it is destroyed or taken away? How do I get out of exile? What is the road out of captivity, out of exile, out of separation? Uh, we understand from the grand narrative of scripture that Jesus Christ is the answer for those that are in exile. He is the Emmanuel, the God with us, and is present with us in the midst of our lamentation and in the midst of our exile. And he is able to bring us out of exile, for he was, but for a moment on Calvary, exiled from the Father, so that we do not have to be exiled or separated from the Father. Matthew chapter 27, verses 45 through 50. So we see in verse 8 of the first chapter of Lamentation that the honor Jerusalem once had is now gone. Listen, God has appointed honor for his creation, Psalm chapter 8, verse 5. Sin, disobedience, and doing things in our own way taints and destroys that honor. Jesus came that we might regain that honor and live out life abundantly. No, you don't have to live in dishonor or low self-esteem. Embrace God's love, and you will embrace restoration and honor. In verse 9, we see the writer crying out to God, in the midst of our afflictions and pain, we should cry out to the Lord, for he is our only hope and he will hear our cry. Psalm 34 verse 4, Psalm 61 verse 1, and Psalm 116 verse 1. We see also uh, in verse 10 a reference to the heathen entering into the sanctuary. Very serious issue here. Our bodies today are in one sense a sanctuary, a place set apart for the Holy Spirit to dwell and to speak to us and influence us. Scripture teaches that our bodies are the temple of the Lord who resides within us as believers. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 19. When we sin, we allow impurities and even impure people to enter our sanctuary. We must not do this. 
We must keep the sanctuary set aside for God to speak to us and otherwise influence our lives for his glory. In verse 11, we see the author confessing that he is vile. Look, the only way to be right with God is to confess our sin and repent. It's okay to confess the ugliness of our heart. God already sees it anyway. 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 39. In verse 20, we again see uh, the crying out to the Lord. Look, it's really okay to cry out to God. You don't have to act happy all the time when you're going through difficult situations. Cry. Let the tears come down your eyes. You don't have to apologize to anyone for crying. God gave humans the ability to cry and to express emotions. We should not ignore or look down on the cries of the saints. Uh, to embrace only laughter and chastise people for crying is to create a false atmosphere of victory. We have to be real before God and before men. Let's move to our next highlight. Uh, this chapter 2. We're going to be reading uh, verses 10, 14, and 19. The elders of the daughter of Zion sit on the ground and keep silence. They throw dust on their heads and gird themselves with sackcloth. The virgins of Jerusalem bow their heads to the ground. Your prophets have seen for you false and deceptive visions. They have not uncovered your iniquity to bring back your captives, but have envisioned for you false prophecies and delusions. Arise, cry out in the night. At the beginning of the watches, pour out your heart like water before the face of the Lord. Lift your hands toward him for the life of your young children who faint from hunger at the head of every street. So we see that the elders were sitting and silent and in mourning. Uh, so as we said before, entire congregations uh, and denominations can be going through difficulties, spiritual warfare, setbacks, hindrances, and even exile if they walk in disobedience. Uh, and in the midst of these trying circumstances, the leaders must not remain in silence, sitting around defeated, disgusted, and busted, but instead should vocalize instructions from the Lord for repentance and restoration. Even in the midst of our exilic circumstances, there must be a vision that the people embrace so that they have hope and not despair. Verse 14 describes the prophets as seeing vain and foolish things. The question is, what are you seeing today? What are you hearing or receiving from leaders today? Is it vain and foolish things, or is it the words of the gospel which will expose and uncover sin, no matter how ugly it is, and save you from the judgment of God? In verse 19, we see the strategy for the one in exilic circumstances. It's don't stay defeated. It's don't stay in despair. Don't stay in captivity. Instead, arise, get up, begin to cry out to God. Cry out in your night season when it is difficult to see clearly. When the thieves and robbers come out, yes, regardless of the danger, cry out to God who will save. To pour out your heart before God means to tell him everything, the things you understand and even things you don't understand. He understands and he'll fix what is broken. Lift up your hands in surrender to him and in praise to him. Allow him to fill your hands with his power and his anointing, with his divine grace to do what you otherwise could not do. 
Let's move to our next highlight, uh, the third chapter, uh, verses 20 through 26 and verse 41. My soul still remembers and sinks within me. This I recall to my mind. Therefore, I have hope. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Verse 41. Let us lift our hearts and hands to God in heaven. So here we see the transition to hope. Uh, Look, regardless of how dark the day is or how difficult the circumstance is, at some point, the Christian must transition to hope. We have seen it in the Psalms where regardless of the peril or lament, the psalmist transitions to hoping in God. We see it here as well. The process of having hope during trials begins with remembering. Never forget God's goodness. Never forget God's power. Never forget God's love. Never forget God's mercy. Never forget God's faithfulness. Never forget God's abiding presence, which will never leave you nor forsake you. Hebrews 13, verse 5. Verse 22 uh, speaks of the mercy of God in not consuming them. Look, whatever you're going through, it could have been worse. This is why we can thank God in every situation. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. In spite of how bad it seems, at least I am not consumed. Maybe in exile, but not consumed. And as long as there is life, there is hope, even for the one who has wandered astray. Here we see more of the exhortation uh, to praise God. Wow. Even in exile, uh, even in prison-like circumstances, we can praise God. Paul and Silas did it, and the prison doors flung open. Acts chapter 16, 25 through 34. Your prison doors may fly open immediately, or it may take time for them to open. But one thing is promised, that they will eventually open as long as you are trusting in God. Our next highlight comes from the fourth chapter. We're going to be reading uh, verses 11, uh, 13, and 22. The Lord has fulfilled his fury. He has poured out his fierce anger. He kindled a fire in Zion, and it has devoured its foundation. Because of the sins of our prophets and the iniquities of our priests who shed in her midst the blood of the just. The punishment of your iniquity is accomplished, O daughter of Zion. He will no longer send you into captivity. He will punish your iniquity, O daughter of Edom. He will uncover your sins. So here we see that sin will bring judgment. Uh, What is sin? It is falling short of God's standard for living. And guess what? We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. Some of us have brought our sins to the Lamb of God for a cleansing and thereby have received forgiveness. But all men have sinned and need to deal with that sin. In this verse 13, we see that the shepherds who should have led the people out of sin and to repentance instead killed the just who were calling for repentance and warning of judgment. We see from verse 22 that in the midst of judgment in this life, the consolation is that as we repent before God, there will come a time when judgment subsides and we will feel the healing balm of God's presence in our heart, letting us know that it will be all right again. Let's move to our next highlight, chapter 5. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 4, 7 through 11, 15 through 17, 19, and 21. Remember, O Lord, what has come upon us. Look and behold our reproach. 
our inheritance has been turned over to aliens and our houses to foreigners. We have become orphans and waifs. Our mothers are like widows. We pay for the water we drink, and our wood comes at a price. Our fathers sinned and are no more, but we bear their iniquities. Servants rule over us. There is none to deliver us from their hand. We get our bread at the risk of our lives because of the sword in the wilderness. Our skin is hot as an oven because of the fever of famine. They ravish the woman in Zion, the maidens in the cities of Judah. The joy of our heart has ceased. Our dance has turned into mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. Because of this, our heart is faint. Because of these things, our eyes grow dim. You, O Lord, remain forever. You're thrown from generation to generation. Turn us back to you, O Lord, and we will be restored. So we see here sin and its consequences. Look, when tempted by the seduction of sin and the pull of idolatry, we must never forget the ugliness of the consequences of sin. The enemy of our soul and those he uses will never show us the ugly consequences of sin, but only a fake image of sin's alluring pleasure. Don't be fooled. We see the sea of joy. We see the fallen crown, the loss of authority and influence. However, in the midst of lamentation, verse 19 and 21 are consoling, letting us know uh, that the Lord, who has covenanted with Israel, remains forever. In times of difficult trials, we must know that our God will always be present. Generations will pass, oppressors will come and go, but the God who has promised to never leave you will always be around to fulfill his promise to you. The ultimate answer to the exile is found in Jesus Christ. He is present with us in the midst of our lamentation. He alone can provide the roadmap out of captivity, out of exile, and back to God. Yes, Jesus was for a moment on Calvary, exiled from the Father, so that we do not have to be exiled or separated. Matthew 27, verses 45 through 50. His strong crying and tears have made it possible that our tears can be wiped away and our mourning turned into dancing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your standard of truth and justice. Uh, we confess that we've gone astray so many times by things we do and even things we do not do. Forgive us, Lord. Thank you for your mercy and your faithfulness. We thank you for being with us when we lament. We thank you for leading us out of our lamentation. We thank you for leading us into the Father's arms where we can experience joy unspeakable and full of glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you.